going to be looking at Ephesians 5, verse 20. But let me read in the context, verses 18 through 21. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray that as we uh, open it up, that our hearts uh, might burst with love, gratitude, thankfulness for all that you have done for us. Help us, Father, to be a thankful people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The uh, dubious theologian, Irma Bombeck, <laughs> uh, once said, Thanksgiving dinners take 18 hours to prepare. They're consumed in 12 minutes. Half times take 12 minutes. This is not coincidence. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to be doing this Thanksgiving, whether it's going to be watching football games or playing uh, card games with your family or whatever, but I hope at least part of the day is taken aside in giving thanks, especially if that's what the day's called, right? Um, I, I have talked to people who've gone through an entire Thanksgiving day, and they've never actually given thanks other than thanking the Lord for the food. Uh, I'm not actually a person who believes in church calendars, rarely preach on Hallmark holidays, uh, or any church calendar, but Thanksgiving is so central and so important to the Christian faith that I think it needs to be preached on frequently. Last week I preached on Thanksgiving down in Conroe, Texas. Uh, I've developed a new sermon this week for Thanksgiving. I think it's an important theme. And it's a little bit strange of a title. It's called The Discipline of Thanksgiving. Now, this is not one of the disciplines you'll find in Whitney's marvelous book, but I think it should be. Um, like prayer, like exercise and journaling or any other discipline, it takes discipline to fulfill Paul's command, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, just like with other disciplines, there's great payback. Uh, there are benefits to doing so. For example, Psalm 50 says, He who sacrifices thank offerings, why would he call it a sacrifice? Well, it's hard. Uh, it is a sacrifice in some senses. He who sacrifices thank offerings honors me, and he prepares the way so that I may show him the salvation of God. So thanksgiving is an action of faith that receives from God his deliverance. Another translation of salvation, his deliverance, his provision. And when you count the number of times in which God very literally delivered his people out of uh, anxiety and out of uh, some war uh, problems or disaster or disease, and he did so immediately after they gave thanks, I think you'll begin realizing, okay, this is not just a one-off uh, scripture. There's many scriptures that connect thanksgiving together with deliverance. You can think of Jehoshaphat, who's going into battle incredibly outnumbered, and what does he do? He stations a whole bunch of people to be singing thanksgiving to Almighty God, and immediately God honors this thanksgiving and wipes out, without his intervention at all, wipes out the entire army of Ammon and Moab. You can think of Jonah, who gives 
thanksgiving in the slimy, mucus-filled belly of that fish, whatever kind of a sea creature it was that had swallowed him, and immediately upon his giving thanksgiving, it says, so, or then, or upon that, as another translation says, the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. You can think of Paul and Silas, who sing praises and hymns to God, and God sends an earthquake and delivers them. In my case, I have had many times where the Lord has delivered me from anxiety and bitterness and other negative emotions as a result of thanking God when I didn't feel like thanking Him, but thanking Him in faith. There are benefits to this discipline. Now, the reason I call it a discipline, I've already hinted at, is that thanksgiving is hard. It is called a sacrifice many times in the scripture, and it does not come naturally. That's one of the reasons why it's commanded over and over again, rather than assuming, oh yeah, these guys, they're just gonna naturally be thankful. Look at all that God has done for them. Paul assumes the opposite. He assumes they're probably not going to be thankful, so he has to remind them any number of times to be thankful, and here he says, giving thanks always for all things. Now I wanna emphasize, he's not simply saying that they need to have thankful hearts. That's wonderful, that's important. That's a precursor to thanks. But he is saying they need to verbally, giving, uh, verbally be giving thanks. William Arthur Ward said, feeling gratitude and not expressing it is like wrapping a present and not giving it. How many husbands are grateful for everything that their wives do, but they don't tell their wives that very many times, or vice versa? Leslie Weatherhold uh, told about a visit that he had to a couple shortly after World War II in Northern England, and uh, there was a food shortage, and yet this wife was able to scramble together uh, a marvelous meal from trout that she had caught in a stream, in the back and from garden vegetables that she had cooked in a marvelous way. And he was just blown away with this uh, hospitality and he profusely thanked the wife. Now she was obviously embarrassed by the thanks and shyly insisted that she did not need to be thanked, saying, oh sir, my husband never thanks me when I prepare a fine meal for her, uh, for him. And rather than agreeing that she did not need thanks, he felt very embarrassed for her husband. And the husband was not embarrassed at all. Uh, Weatherford remembers him sitting there on his sofa saying, hey love, I would have told you if I didn't like it. <laughs> that was his way of saying, I always like your food and I would have said so if I didn't like it. Uh, so he said he had gratitude in his heart, but he never expressed it. So I think, that William Arthur Ward is correct when he says, feeling gratitude and not expressing it is like wrapping a present and not giving it. God wants us to have gratefulness to each other, gratefulness to God, and the focus of this verse here obviously is our gratefulness and thankfulness to God. Now to see how important this is to defining a regenerate Christian, I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And this is a chapter that describes the downhill slide of evil during the last days of the Old Covenant. And uh, verse 1 begins by saying, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. 
Now, what is it that makes these times so perilous? Is it nuclear weapons or murder in the streets or war? Um, you would expect when he's talking about perilous things in the last times, he would appeal to some of the things that you see in the headlines in the newspaper about wars in the Middle East or uh, some you know, disaster that has happened or something like that. He, no, he didn't say that at all. He appeals to heart issues that define even many Christians. He um, says, verse one, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come for, now he gives the reasons for these perilous times, for men will be lovers of themselves lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, etc. Now I know people who could be described by just about every word in that uh, phrase that I read and Paul says, wow, that is a perilous condition to be in. But I want you to notice in that list of things is the word unthankful. Unthankfulness was one of the signs of the last times, of perilous times. Unthankfulness. In contrast, a truly thankful heart is a heart that is no longer wrapped up in self. Why? Because God's grace draws our hearts away from self. That's not natural. This is a discipline of grace. It requires discipline to put off the old nature of unthankfulness and to put on by His grace the new thinking and the new inner dispositions which will make thankfulness easier and easier to engage in. So first of all, thankfulness is not something that comes naturally. We can't just assume we will say the right thing when we need to. Uh, we need to think and plan and discipline ourselves to be more thankful. Now secondly, thanks is a debt that we owe. Uh, that's actually the meaning of the word giving thanks. It's the Greek word eucharisteo. It's defined by one dictionary as, quote, to show that one is under obligation to be thankful, to feel obligated to thank. Another dictionary says to be thankful on the basis of some received benefit. In other words, God has blessed us so incredibly richly that we owe him some thanks. In fact, uh, Paul in Second uh, Thessalonians adds the word to owe along with this to emphasize that point. He says, we are bound to give thanks to God always. And the word for bound is the Greek word of phalo, which means to owe a debt. Exactly the same word that's translated in Romans chapter 13, give everyone what you owe him. That's a phalo. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. But even the word give thanks itself, eucharisteo, shows that we owe God big time. Now, most Christians have not counted up their blessings. Uh, you know the, the song, count your many blessings, name them one by one. They've not uh, really realized the incredible blessings that God has poured out in their lives. And so they are not thankful as they should be and thus they insult God and I believe in the process they make God feel bad. They, they, they grieve the Holy Spirit who feels bad on behalf of the Father. 
Now just imagine that you wanted to really surprise and bless your wife. You've been saving up for three years for a $5,000 ring and um, you plan this getaway, you have a very expensive meal at the restaurant, you um, tell her you love her, you present this gift. She takes it without thanks. Uh, she complains about the food and she says, we really need to get home so that we don't miss that basketball game. I think you would feel really, really bad because your goal was to please her and her lack of thanks shows that you failed miserably in your goal of pleasing her. But that word picture pales into insignificance when compared to the astounding number of things that God has done for you. It means that our unthankfulness is millions of times worse than that unthankfulness in that word picture. God says, we were on a train headed toward hell where we would burn under his wrath forever, but instead he sent his dearly beloved son to die in your place, take your punishment so that he could take you off of that train headed toward hell, put you onto a train headed toward heaven. He buys you an incredibly expensive mansion. We looked at that mansion in previous sermon. And uh, he's put a, a huge bank account in heaven for you that you can write a check in Jesus' name. It always has to be signed in Jesus' name. Any day that you want, you can get those resources from heaven. He's given you a, a job on this train and three square meals and all kinds of other benefits while you're headed toward your mansion and headed to the incredible glories of heaven. And yet 365 days a year can go by with not very much thanks other than the perfunctory thanks we've gotten the habit of doing at the dinner table. And by the way, we complain about the food even after we've given thanks for the food, right? And uh, we complain about the noise on the train with the other passengers. We complain about the boring Sabbath. We complain about all kinds of things in our lives that are utterly inconsequential compared to heaven. That is some of our old sin nature of unthankfulness that needs to be put off and the new disciplines of thankfulness that need to replace it. It is a debt we owe. God has done so much for us we owe him thanks. It's the least we can do. We owe thanks to God much more than that wife owed thanks to her husband for the incredible evening that he had put on and planned for her in the $5,000 ring. Well, Paul goes on to say that we should be able to give thanks to God in every circumstance, not just when God gives us those special $5,000 rings, right? In every circumstance. Verse 20 says, giving thanks always. I looked up the word always in the dictionary, and strangely, the word always just means always. <laughs> Yesterday, today, tomorrow, last minute, and an hour from now, it just literally means always, which includes being thankful even after you drop the turkey on the way to the table on the floor, and you think, ah. Now, you don't necessarily, uh, you, you can still grieve over the fact that turkey dropped, right? but is looking for the silver lining around the bad things that have happened in our lives. When Robinson Crusoe was shipwrecked on the island, uh, he thought and chronicled both the good and the bad. He did not ignore the bad. He was not a Pollyanna who tried to pretend life is better than it really was. Okay, there was a lot of bad things that had happened to him, 
but he tried to chronicle the good that he also had in order to force himself to be thankful. It's an interesting story. If you get the unabridged version, forget about the, uh, the abridged version, right? If you get the unabridged, you're gonna get a lot of excellent theology in the old Robinson Crusoe. So here's some of the things he chronicled. Yes, he was cast upon a desolate island. That was such a bad thing, but the good thing was he was alive and he hadn't drowned like all of the other passengers and crew had drowned. He was separated from the rest of mankind, but then he thought, you know, there's a lot of cannibals in these regions and I'm glad I'm separated from them. <laughs> so he was thankful for that. He had no clothes, but then he thought, hey, this is a warm climate where I don't need clothes. <laughs> so he was thankful for the warm climate. He was without means of defense, but he said, it didn't appear that there's any wild animals on here that I need defense for. He had nothing to speak of, but God, he noticed, had brought the shipwreck close enough. He could build a raft, go out there, and get a lot of the things that he needed for survival. So his conclusion was that there was not any condition in the world so miserable, but that there is something positive for which we can be thankful. Crusoe was learning to thank God in all situations. In other words, to thank God always. Now, if your tendency is to pout over what you don't have, I would encourage you to tell yourself, cut it out. Let me start chronicling all the things I do have, all the blessings that God has given to me. Uh, don't make God have to take away those blessings before you appreciate them. I read about an immigrant who came to the U.S. with virtually nothing in his pocket, but he managed to scrimp and save and started a small business and prospered enough. He was able to send his kids to the university, and uh, one of his children, the one that had a CPA, um, did quite well, passed the CPA exams with flying colors. He was quite proud of himself, but he was always embarrassed over how pathetic his dad's accounting was. His dad was using non-kosher, non-standard methods of accounting. So he said one day, Dad, you don't even know how much profit you've made. Over here in this drawer, your account's receivable. Over there, your receipts, you keep all your money in the cash register. You don't have any idea how much you've made. And the father answered, Son, when I came to this country, the only thing I owned was a pair of pants. Now your brother is a doctor, your sister is an art teacher, you're a CPA, your mother and I own our home, we have a car, we own this little business. Now add that all up, subtract my pants, and all the rest is profit. <laughs> and he admitted, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing, a lot, of, a lot of these things, but I'm thankful that God has enabled me with my lack of training to accomplish what I have been able to accomplish. <clears throat> He was thankful for what he had. I read a poem that illustrates this so well. It's called, Forgive Me When I Whine. It said, and this was written, I think, uh, way back when English was a little bit stilted, but it says, Today upon a bus I saw a lovely maid with golden hair. I envied her. She seemed so gay, and how I wished, gay means happy, does not mean what people say today. She seemed so gay, and how I wished I were so fair. When suddenly she rose to leave, I saw her hobble down the aisle. <clears throat> she had one foot and wore a crutch, but as she passed, a smile. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two feet, the world is mine. 
And when I stopped to buy some sweets, the lad who served me had such charm, he seemed to radiate good cheer. His manner was so kind and warm. I said, it's nice to deal with you. Such courtesy I seldom find. He turned and said, oh, thank you, sir. And then I saw that he was blind. <clears throat> Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two eyes. The world is mine. Then when walking down the street, I saw a child with eyes of blue. He stood and watched the others play. It seemed he knew not what to do. I stopped a moment. Then I said, why don't you join the others, dear? He looked ahead without a word, and then I knew he could not hear. Oh, God. <clears throat> forgive me when I whine. I have two ears, the world is mine, with feet to take me where I'd go, with eyes to see the sunsets glow, with ears <clears throat> to hear what I would know, I am blessed indeed, the world is mine. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. So that's looking at the good in every circumstance. No matter how bad you have it, you can at least thank God that it could be worse. <laughs> Usually it could be worse, right? And no matter how bad you have it, there are blessings, incredible blessings that accompany that miserable situation. Just as an example, I mean, we just talked about our eyes and our ears that we can hear with. We take it for granted that we can turn on a faucet, put the glass under it, and drink it without getting sick. Most countries in the world today, you still cannot do that. In China, if you were to do that, you would get dysentery. You would get sick. That's true in most of the South American countries, most of the African countries, most of Asia. We have so many blessings we take for granted. Now the next phrase in our verse is the one that most people stumble over. Paul didn't just tell us to thank God in every circumstance, that's the word always, but to thank God for every circumstance. He says, giving thanks always for all things. Now, I hope you see a little bit of tension, a little bit of problem in that phrase. How can you thank God for evil? How can you thank God, isn't evil one of the all things? Here's the problem. Since we are not to delight in evil, how can we thank God for evil? Since we cannot agree with evil, how can we thank God for evil? Since we cannot ascribe evil to God, how can we thank God for evil? To be able to thank God for all circumstances, including evil circumstances, you must see that God in his providence is over in, under, and around those circumstances to such a degree that he turns those evil circumstances into something that showcases his grace, his glory, his goodness. It's really God's presence in the circumstances that is thankworthy, not the evil itself, but his providence overrules and uses that evil for good. So even though Joseph in the book of Genesis, strongly disagreed with his brother's attempt to murder him and their treachery in selling him down into Egypt, he, he told them, <clears throat> you meant evil against me. So he calls a spade a spade. He's not agreeing that this is good. You meant evil against me, but God meant it, 
what's the it? That's the evil circumstance, right? God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. And thus, in order to be able to thank God for all circumstances, including evil circumstances, you have to believe that God works and guarantees to work all things together for your good. Well, of course, that's exactly what Romans 8, verse 28 says. In order to thank God for all things, we have to be able to see that God is sovereign over all things, that his goodness is present in his providential dealings, in all of the dealings, that his wisdom guides his providence so as to keep him from ever making a mistake, that he does all of these things for his own glory. And of course, there's scriptures that say every one of those things is true. Let me try to uh, give a little bit of perspective on how a bad thing that in itself is bad can be something that we can thank God for. And, and any illustration is going to be limited, but if God gave you a choice between burning in hell forever and ever and having your hand burned and hurting for a couple of weeks, oh, you would gladly choose the hand, right? You might even thank God that you had a choice. Oh, thank you, Lord. Yes, I'll take that. Now, does that make the burned hand in itself good? No, not at all. A burned hand is not good, but you can still be thankful for that choice. Now, let's go a little bit further than that, and let's say that God orchestrated the burned hands of everybody for good, and your particular burned hand, how he orchestrated the burned hand was that your burned hand came as the result of rescuing your three children from a burning upper room in a building. All of a sudden, that, worth, that burned hand seems worthwhile. Now let's go a little bit further and let's say that the TV stations got wind of this story and they were blown away by your heroism, what you went through, and they interviewed you and you're giving glory to God. You are just thrilled and they ask, well, what about that burned hand? They say, oh, I would burn my hand over in an instant if it meant that God was glorified and I could rescue my three children. So they aired this program. As a result of airing that program, a number of people got saved. And uh, one of the people who was watching the program was so impressed with you, he came to get to know you, and you got married to that person. <laughs> okay, I know this is all <laughs> fake news, right? But you, you get the point. The more you see of the purpose for that burnt hand, the more you are willing to embrace that burnt hand. Does that make sense? Now, you're not going to see that burnt hand as good in itself. It's not, but it's good because of God's purposes in it. It's sort of like when the surgeon cuts into your belly uh, with a scalpel. Now, if he was an evil surgeon, he's just cutting for the fun of cutting it, all of a sudden, your belly being cut with a, a scalpel is a horrible thing, right? But you have a tumor that this good surgeon is cutting into to remove, and suddenly you are thankful for that cut. Why? Because of the purpose for that cut. That's what turns it into something good rather than into something bad. Well, here's the thing. God is the master surgeon who turns all evils and all situations into scalpels and surgeries that cause us to grow and that bring glory to his name. But here's where faith comes in. Faith 
thanks God for the cuts, for the hurts, for all of these things, even before we know what God's purposes are. Uh, that's what makes it a sacrifice of praise. Joseph may not have understood why his brothers resented him, why his father sent him on a seemingly wild goose chase, why he got stripped of his robe, was cast into a pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, cast into jail, forgotten by the chief butler, etc. But it appears that Joseph had the kind of faith that would have been able to thank God for those circumstances even before he knew the purpose. Now, from hindsight, we see that even the most meaningless of those painful events had an incredible purpose because it was leading Joseph to be one of God's tools to not only save his family, 70 souls and all, but to also preserve the lives of many countries who would have starved to death otherwise. Okay, there was a purpose in there. Faith calls us to thank God for those things before we see what the purpose is. When I get a flat tire, I don't have to know what God's purpose for that flat tire is before I thank him. I thank him. I have eyes that are expected to see, why do I have this flat tire? Am I supposed to meet somebody? Was I missing an accident? What is it that God has in mind for me on this? But Romans 8:28, which guarantees that he works all things together for my good, Romans 8:28 gives me a theology that mandates that I thank God for all things. And when we do it by faith, before we know his purpose, Psalm 50 says that that thanksgiving delivers us and no doubt delivers us from bitterness and frustration and gives us hope for the future. But I think it delivers us in many other ways. It is well worthwhile. But ultimately, we should give thanks because our goal is to glorify God. Verse 20 says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father. Now, there are times when there will be no human to thank. In fact, where it would be utterly inappropriate to thank that person for the evil that they have done. In fact, you're probably going to prosecute that person, okay? Perfectly appropriate. But while you're prosecuting him, you're going to be thanking God for this opportunity and asking him to showcase his grace, his love uh, through you. Why? Because he's working even this together for your good. So God then becomes the focus of your thanks. And it should be our goal to please our Father, our Heavenly Father. Shakespeare wrote in the play King Lear, how sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. You know, it is painful for parents to pour out their lives for their children and to have the children do nothing but complain. No thanks. Well, just turn that over and imagine the pain that we bring to our Heavenly Father for our thanklessness after he has done so much for us. And imagine the delight that it brings to God when we finally get it and we begin to realize, wow, God has done so much for me and I am thankful. We begin to thank him. I think it brings delight to God's heart. When Max Lucado lived in Brazil, he taught at a university that he had to walk to every uh, day and on the way to class one day, he felt a tug on his pants legs and turning around, he saw a little boy, he said, looked like five or six years old, who was homeless, uh, just a beggar. And uh, he looked up and said, bread, sir. Lucado said, there are always little beggar boys in the streets of Brazil. Usually I turn away from them because there are so many and you can't feed them all. 
But there was something so compelling about this little boy that I couldn't turn away. So taking his hand, I said, come with me, and I took him into a coffee shop. Lakeda then told the owner, I'll have a cup of coffee, give the boy a piece of pastry, whatever he wants. Now, since the coffee counter was on the other side, he walked over to the other side, forgot about the boy, because he said, I mean, usually these beggars, they're out the door as soon as they get what they want, they disappear, but not this boy. After getting his pastry, the beggar boy went over to Locato, stood quietly there until Locato finally noticed him. And Locato said, I turned and looked at him. Standing up, his eyes just about hit my belt buckle. Then slowly his eyes came up until they met mine. The little boy, holding his pastry in one hand, looked up and said, thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Lakato said, I was so touched by the boy's thanks that I would have bought him the store. I sat there for another 30 minutes, late from my class, just thinking about a little beggar boy who came back and said, thank you. Now, if that thank you could bring such joy to Max Lakato's heart, imagine the joy that we probably bring to God the Father's heart when we are thankful for the things that he has brought in us. I mean, think about that beggar. That beggar boy, really from a human perspective, had very little to be thankful about. Yet he didn't focus on the negative. He was thankful. He said, thank you. Luke 17 records the story of 10 lepers who begged Jesus to heal them from afar. They didn't even dare to come near. And Jesus healed them, told them to go show themselves to the priests because they had to be examined before they could be readmitted into society. And they all went off, but then one turned around and he uh, came to Jesus to glorify God, to give thanks. And he was so overwhelmed with gratitude, he fell on his feet, uh, on his face at, at Christ's feet, gave thanks. And Christ's words of response, I think, could be said to many in uh, modern churches. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Unthankfulness is the natural state of a sinful heart. It is thankfulness that showcases God's grace, especially when we're able to be thankful in all circumstances. May 100% of DCC be like that one leper eager, eager, eager to give thanks to God. And each one of you can do so because of your union with Jesus. Verse 20 goes on to say, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now because of our union with Jesus, we are allowed to use his name. Now that alone is an incredible privilege that is worthy of thanks. But other scriptures indicate that anything done in his name in faith receives what is needed from the bank account we have in heaven. If Christ has authorized us to use his name, we have an incredible privilege. We wouldn't dare to use his name if he did not authorize it. Incredible. And since Colossians commands us to do everything in the name of Christ, absolutely everything, there is a reason in every circumstance to give thanks. We approach that circumstance through our union with Jesus. So when we're persecuted, Jesus is persecuted with us. He takes it personally. And for that love and empathy, we can give thanks. But there's more. This paragraph actually gives us a Trinitarian foundation for thanksgiving. We've already seen uh, all of the blessings God's given to us, God the Father. 
We've seen uh, that we can ask in the name of Jesus. We can give thanks in the name. We can use his name. But I want you to go back to verse 18 because verse 20 is actually not the beginning of the sentence. I've just interpreted this morning part of the sentence. The sentence begins in verse 18, which says, and do not be drunk with wine, and which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And then the rest of the sentence gives evidences of what those filled with the Spirit are driven to do. Pagans are not filled with the Holy Spirit, so they cannot give thanks always for all things. Many Christians are not filled with the Holy Spirit, so they cannot give thanks always for all things. But here's the cool thing. Any one of us as Christians can ask on a daily basis for the filling of the Holy Spirit to enable us to get our back past our bad attitudes. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Help me to find your supernatural joy, your supernatural thanksgiving. And what commentators point out is everyone who is filled with the Spirit does the things that are listed in that verse. And thanksgiving is one of those things that is evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now in conclusion, let me say that it takes disciplined thinking to be more and more consistently a thankful people. It has often been pointed out that thinking always precedes thanking. Thinking always precedes thanking. You can't really feel thankful until you understand the significance of what has been done for you. And that's why studying theology is so important. The more you understand, and uh, like the, the, the theology of harmartiology, that's just a big word for the doctrine of sin. The more you understand of your sinfulness, the more you understand of God's holiness, the more you understand the redemption of what Jesus has done, you become more and more blown away and more and more thankful. And the more unworthy we see ourselves, or the more significant the gift, the more the loved the lover or the giver, the more deeply we feel the thanksgiving. If we're not aware of how much sin we have been saved from, we're not going to be nearly as thankful as the person who is absolutely overwhelmed with his own unworthiness. In Luke 7, verse 47, Jesus explained why the prostitute who was saved loved him much more than the Pharisee did. And here's his explanation. He says, to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Now, I think it's the realization of how much you've been forgiven of, been forgiven of. Every one of us has been forgiven of an enormous debt. We just don't realize it many times, how enormous it is. That's where the theology of martiology comes in. But uh, the more enormous we realize that our debt is, the more our hearts will want to thank him and thank him and thank him in every circumstance and for every circumstance that he trusts us with. So he gives us a tough job. He says, here's some work. And we say, thank you, Lord. I love serving you. Or he gives us the opportunity to suffer in his name. And we say, thank you, Lord, for the privilege of sharing in Christ's sufferings and being uh, able to, to receive persecution for his name. There is a sense in which all of the disciplines that Whitney's book on spiritual disciplines talks about is a prelude uh, to the discipline of thankfulness. And what is humbling to me is that the ability to give good spiritual thanksgiving was planned by the Father from eternity past, 
was purchased by Jesus Christ, is empowered by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, even our, we have to give thanks to him for our ability to give thanks. I mean, it's so humbling. It is all of grace. But it is my prayer that we would not see Thanksgiving as something that we only do at mealtime, maybe one day out of a year, but that we would embrace it as a discipline of life, that we would give thanks always. May it be so, Lord Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We give you the glory for all that you have done for us. Your create, creation that you made for us in Genesis 1, verse 1, is a good creation. Yes, even though it has been defiled by sin, we thank you that your grace goes far as the curse is found and will one day even redeem the heavens and the earth. We are thankful, Father, that having begun a good work in us, you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We're thankful for your patience with us, your patience with our bad attitudes, but that you also move us with your Holy Spirit who jealously yearns within us against the flesh and the flesh against the Spirit, that your Spirit will win. And we want your Spirit to win out against our flesh, which just keeps pulling us down. Help us, Lord, to have godly attitudes, positive attitudes, thankful attitudes. Fill our hearts with gratefulness and joy uh, at uh, the incredible things that you have done for us. We want to be a thankful people. And so we pray for this grace, the richness of this grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.